let's praise him for every victory every victory if there's been a victory in your life why don't you worship him hallelujah we thank you jesus we acknowledge you we give to you praise hallelujah thank you lord thank you lord praise god i'm thankful for the goodness of god in the house of god amen let's stand together if you have your bibles turn to first thessalonians chapter 4 and verse number 15 while you're doing that, want to read a card that says, thank you to our church family. Words cannot express how deeply we appreciate all of the love, kindness, and support shown to us during this difficult time. We truly could not make it through without all of you. Our, all of our love and thanks for Casey family. Amen. We appreciate them, and we will miss a true soldier in Brother Carl Casey, but we're so thankful that he left to us an example and a legacy and something to pursue. Amen. Praise God. You thankful to be in the house of God tonight? Amen. It's good to be in the house of the Lord tonight. Amen. God's goodness, his presence and anointing is in this place, and this is Tuesday night on the rock. We're going to spend some time in the word, and we want the Lord to encourage and strengthen us Praise God. Thank you to the musicians and the singers making Tuesday night just not a quick service, but helping us into the presence of the Lord. We appreciate all that their work and effort. <clears throat> Amen. I feel the Holy Ghost in the house of God here tonight. Amen. And know that God is able to strengthen us through his word. Praise God. If you have that, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse number 15, say amen. Amen. All right. Let's read this together. This, this. These are great words here, right here, all right? If you came tonight and you said, I wanted to be encouraged of the Lord, this right here is everything that you need right here in this passage of Scripture. Praise God. So let's read it. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we, which are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. That should be a comforting word to us in the house of God here tonight. Amen. Lord, we thank you and praise you for your blessing and your goodness. We ask that you would direct us, our attention, our focus tonight. We give to you thanks in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. We're talking tonight about resurrection of the dead. We're going to see this through Hebrews chapter 6. We have been trying to work our way through this passage of Scripture, and we have been focused on things that are foundational to our Christian maturity and walk with God and our discipleship. And in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 2, it says, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation, the foundation. So these things are foundational. Leaving the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms and of the laying on of hands, and of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. So there's six things here that we've made our way through this, and we did not abandon it after the first or the second one, but we are going to see it completely through. These are things that are foundational, and tonight, one of the foundational principles 
of the doctrine of Christ is resurrection of the dead. And so we're going to spend a few moments here tonight talking about the resurrection of the dead. And so by way of introduction here tonight, I want to go through some of the instances in the scripture where people were raised from the dead. In 1 Kings chapter 17, the widow's son was raised to life. 2 Kings chapter 4, the Shunammite son was raised to life. 2 Kings chapter 13, a Moabite man that was placed in Elisha's tomb was raised to life. Mark chapter 5, Jairus' daughter was resurrected as Jesus made his way into their home. Luke chapter 7, the widow of Nain's son was raised from the dead. In John chapter 11, Lazarus came out of the tomb. In Acts chapter 9, Tabitha, or Dorcas, was raised from the dead. And in Acts chapter 20, when Paul was preaching a long time, Eutychus that was in the window fell asleep, fell out of the window to his death, and they ran down, prayed for him, and Eutychus was resurrected in Acts chapter number 20. So these are references where individuals in the scripture were resurrected from the dead. Women received their dead raised to life again. Hebrews chapter number 11 tells us. Hebrews chapter 11 is the chapter of faith, the heroes of faith, and it describes and names the heroes of faith. As it gets toward the end of the chapter, it starts talking about individuals, not by name, but individuals who trusted in God, had faith in God, and this is one of the things that is described about their experience. Women received their dead, raised to life again. This is probably referring to the widow's son and the Shunammite's son. It's a reference to a resurrection. And if there were more, they're not specifically recorded in the Bible. But these cloud of witnesses attest to a glorious resurrection power of God. Amen. All the above examples that we read about. They are resurrection to corruption or they're temporary resurrections, meaning that these people were resurrected, but they then died again and they are in their graves at the present. None of them were raised to incorruptibility. They were not given a glorified body, never to die again. Someday that will happen. But these individuals were resurrected and then they died and they are in the grave waiting for the resurrection of the dead in another fashion and another sense. However, the reason why these were introduced in the scripture is to help us understand there is a greater resurrection that is going to take place. And so they are there to remind us that God is good, God is powerful, God created us, and he also breathed life into us, and that death does not have the final word. Praise God. In all of these experiences in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, they are there to be a marker that says to us, praise God, death doesn't have the final word. There were individuals that were raised again to life. They died. They went to the grave. But there's coming one that is going to take the keys to death, hell, and the grave. He's going to come in resurrection power, and he's going to reveal to us it's not over when everybody else says it is over because he has given to us a greater promise and a greater resurrection. Hallelujah. Come on, clap your hands unto the Lord. That's why the scripture says, comfort one another with these words. Amen. So 
What does it mean? Because in that same passage of scripture where it states that the women received their dead raised to life again, the latter part of the scripture says that they were expecting a greater resurrection. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 35. Women received their dead raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. A better resurrection. Some of those in Hebrews chapter number 11, they were victims of their faith, while others were victors. The writer of Hebrews mentioned that there were those that were tortured, not accepting deliverance in order to obtain a better resurrection. So that, that begs the question to us, what is the better resurrection? It is a resurrection where the corruptible puts on incorruption, where you are raised and you never face death again. Some faced death again, and now they're in their graves and they're waiting on a better Resurrection, being raised to incorruption, never to die again, is the better resurrection than being resurrected and then facing death again. You see how it's better? <laughs> you could be resurrected, but you're going to die. But the better resurrection says you're going to be resurrected and you're never going to die. That's the better resurrection. Being resurrected from the dead, although it may be only a short time, until we face death again, does not in any way lessen the glory and the victory over death. And that's why those examples are in the scripture, because that is still a great victory. And in those experiences with those people that were connected, that was a great victory. Lazarus, when he comes out of the tomb and he throws off his grave clothes, Lazarus is going to die again. But that in and of itself was still a great and powerful victory. And so it doesn't lessen the impact of that because there's still glory in what has occurred. But there's coming a quality that is greater than that quality when we're talking about resurrection. Because there's coming a resurrection in which you're not going to die again, but you're going to live forevermore. That's a better quality. Amen. David said, when I awake I'm going to awake with thy likeness. In other words, when I am resurrected in the better resurrection, I'm putting on not just who I am, but I'm putting on the likeness of Jesus Christ. I'm going to be wrapped up in his likeness. Those people that were resurrected, they were the same people. Lazarus was the same person. But the better resurrection is Lazarus, you're not going to die again, but you're going to be in the likeness of Jesus Christ, who is an immortal resurrection, who lives on on forever. That's the better resurrection. Now, some would say there is no resurrection of the dead. This was a problem in the first century. This was a problem in the early church. Numerous errors existed. Even the Sadducees did not believe that there was a resurrection, and they taught in Mark chapter 12 and verse number 18 that there was no resurrection. So that's where their differences between the Sadducees and the Pharisees came out. The Sadducees did not believe in a resurrection. That philosophy permeated and had an influence even on the church that was at Corinth because Paul deals with this and he claims in this epistle that this was an, an erroneous teaching that had overthrew the faith of some 
in that some were saying the resurrection had already passed. And so Paul said this is a real dilemma because if there is no resurrection of the dead and if it is already passed, then what a tragedy and what a sorrow we face if this is true. And so then he starts laying out his argument against this. He says that if this is the case, if that's what people are believing and teaching, and this is the case, he said Christ is not risen. That's a problem because we serve a risen Christ. And in that, there is power and understanding that he's not a God of the dead, but he's a God of the living. And if you believe that the resurrection is past, then you're not serving a God of the living. You're serving a God of the dead. I, I want to agree with Paul here in the house of God tonight and say we don't serve a dead God. We serve a living God. What are we doing here? If we believe that it's just something that is dead, dry, and lifeless, we don't believe that. We believe that he comes out of the tomb with resurrection power. Hallelujah. With resurrection power. And he's here in the house of God tonight. If you believe that, clap your hands. You're not serving a dead God. You're serving a living God. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. <laughs> Paul said, well, if that's the case and people are saying that, that the resurrection has already taken place, then Christ is not risen. And then he said, if that's the case and Christ is not risen, then our preaching is in vain. We're preaching in vain if, in fact, we're preaching that he's not a dead God, if, in fact, he is dead. And so Paul said that would be vanity. And then he said, our faith is in vain. Not only is our preaching in vain, but now our faith is vain. And then he said, we are false witnesses of God because if we're preaching that he is a resurrected Christ and in fact he is not, we are false witnesses. He's laying out his argument against this teaching. He says, those asleep or those who are dead in Christ have perished. So those that believe in Jesus Christ and believe in a better resurrection, if in fact it's not true that he's resurrected, then the people that died in Christ, then there's no hope for them. Praise God. I want to tell you tonight that when you go in the grave, there's still hope because there is a power and anointing that is in your life that is the seed that is going to one day resurrect out of wherever you are. You could be in a, a plot somewhere, in a cemetery, or your ashes scattered somewhere. It's all going to come together in a resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you're in Christ, it's not vain. It's not a false witness. It's a power of the Holy Ghost. It's a better resurrection. And then he said, those asleep in Christ have perished. And then he said, if, that, if all of that is the case, and he lays all that, he says, we sorrow as others who have no hope. I'm thankful in the house of God tonight we have a hope that maketh not ashamed. We have a promise that is an eternal promise. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? It doesn't end with death and it doesn't end with the grave because there is a power of the resurrected one. Praise God. That's why we celebrate the life of an individual who has lived in faith that, that believes in Jesus Christ. We celebrate because we recognize it's not over and there is hope. None of what we just stated is true. There is a resurrection of the dead, and we need to preach it and believe it so that we can be part of it. Before there can be a resurrection, there must be a death. 
Elijah was translated to heaven. That's not a resurrection. That's a translation. There's a differentiation between a resurrection and a translation. They're two different things. And so most people agree that the first resurrection covers the span of time from Jesus Christ's resurrection until the, end, the events of Revelation chapter number 20. So the first resurrection, first resurrection is from Jesus to Revelation 20, which describes a millennial reign. This is the first resurrection. This is the, to me, this is, now this is just me. This is the priority. We need to be a part of the first resurrection. There's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff that goes with the second, the second uh, resurrection that includes a lot of stuff. But here tonight, my point is to convince us that our first priority, we need to be ready for the first resurrection. Praise God. Jesus was the first to be raised to incorruption. And so he set in motion the first resurrection. He set it in motion. Our example is Jesus. Acts chapter 26 and verse 23 says that Christ should suffer and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead. So Jesus sets in motion the first resurrection. He's the first to be raised from the dead to die no more. This is the first recorded resurrection in the scripture where there is not temporary restoration, but never facing death again. Jesus is alive. He will never see corruption. Acts tells us that in several passages of scripture. He will never see corruption. When there is a part a participation in the first resurrection, there is no corruption that can be attached to that. When we're talking about corruption, we're talking about earthly things. We live in a, 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 a frame, a framework of corruption. This body, this earth, everything associated with it, it's breaking down, it's running down, it's a fallen earth, it's a state of corruption, but there's coming a day of incorruption where what is mortal, mortal is earthly. Everything that we go through in life is mortal. But there's coming a day in which the mortal will put on immortality, which cannot be tainted with corruption. Jesus said, I am not of this world. I'm going to come and subdue it. I'm going to overcome it. I'm going to overpower it. I'm going to be the first fruits so that other people recognize that the benefits of my sovereignty and my power will extend to believers who are in me. Praise God. So the power that I am exemplifying and revealing, it's also going to make its way to be a benefit to people that believe in who I am. Hallelujah. Comfort one another with these words. There's a better resurrection. It's not tainted by the earth, but it is a heavenly thing that God does. He is the first begotten from the dead. He is the first fruits of those who sleep, and he is the firstborn from the dead. So Jesus sets in motion the idea of the first resurrection, the better resurrection, and he establishes this in order that we can be a part of it. Amen. The longer I live in this corrupt world, I want to be a part of something that is incorruptible. 
The longer I see of bureaucracy and governments and everything else and wickedness and evil, I want to be a part of something that is greater than the earth, but I want the heavenly to come down. It's here in part, but it's not yet. It's here in a, a partial understanding and reflection, but it's not here in its full completeness. I thank God that we, when we come to the house of God. We, we experience the heavenly that comes to the earth in a church service, and we feel the anointing of God and the power of God. I'm thankful for the comfort that God brings to us when we're going through difficulties. I'm thankful that God's anointing walks with us every day that we live. But that is a small measure of what is going to take place when the corruptible puts on incorruption. Man, when that day happens, it's going to be a heavenly thing that takes place. I'm not satisfied with this world, but I'm believing that there is a greater promise. There's a greater place. There's a greater home. Hallelujah. We don't care preaching about heaven enough because we're too caught up in the stinking world. But there's something that is greater and that is better. Hallelujah. I said heaven is greater than this earth. Praise God. Somebody needs to celebrate tonight. Heaven is worth it. Heaven is my gain. Hell is something I'm shunning, but I'm trying to gain heaven. Woo, I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. Some of you are excited about heaven. Some of you look at me like he's lost his mind. No, we haven't lost our mind. We're just thankful and grateful that there is a better place. Once we get to that place, there'll be no more pain. There'll be no more crying. There'll be no more dying. Oh, you ought to get up on your feet and say, God, help me. Help me see heaven. I'm tired of the earth and the world that I'm living in. I want a better resurrection. Praise God. I said, I want a better resurrection. I want to experience the fullness of what God has for me. Amen. The Holy Ghost in your life is the earnest of your inheritance. But one day you're going to receive the full inheritance. Praise God. He gives to us just a little bit to help us understand. It's going to be something that is greater when it comes in its fruition. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Comfort one another with these words. Let's do that together in the house of God tonight. Comfort one another with these words. There's a better resurrection coming. We don't preach about hell enough, and we don't preach about heaven enough. I'm coming to you tonight to tell you this is a foundational principle in Christ. We need to believe that there is a better resurrection. <laughs> Come on, clap your hands like you really mean it. We agree together. We agree together. Woo! Praise God. Praise God. Don't get so distracted by the world that you lose sight of the main thing, and the main thing is not in this world. We're in it, but we're not of it because there's a better resurrection. Praise God. You can be seated. God bless you.
Jesus is the first begotten, which means he's the first one that, that is resurrected to incorruptibility. So he is the first begotten, firstborn of the dead. And he is the first fruits, first fruits of those who sleep. So for those who have died, their hope is in the fact that Jesus was the first fruits. So he has already established that. The fruit that will come to those who have died is going to come later because the establishment of Jesus. And he is also the firstborn from the dead. This, this was so empowering and impacting when Jesus was resurrected that there were some old saints that came out of their graves at Jesus Christ's resurrection. Matthew chapter 27 and verse number 50 tells us. There were, now, not all of them. And how that happens and, and, and who, who, you know, who gets the invitation? Jesus coming up out of the grave and you get an invitation to come up with him. They didn't all, but some did. Some did. They came out of their graves. And apparently, they were resurrected to incorruption because the saints would not be raised and then die again, but because Jesus was establishing precedence, Jesus said, I'm going to come up out of the grave and just for fun to rub it in the devil's nose that I have control of death and the grave, I'm going to take some folks with me. And so he does. Some of the saints come out of their graves. Not all of them, but some of them did. How, how that works, I don't know. We will understand it better by and by. You can ask that question. You can write that down when you get to heaven. How is it that some people got the VIP and some didn't? And they had to sleep a little longer. And yet some got to join the party with Jesus to experience a better resurrection to incorruption. Praise God. I don't know. I don't know. Now, the Bible talks about a spiritual resurrection as well. And so there's, there's references that speak of a spiritual resurrection that is here and now rather than a physical resurrection in the future. For example, this is a, a wonderful passage of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 10 because it is so uplifting. And it's talking about a spiritual resurrection. <clears throat> Has God done anything for anybody in this place here tonight where he changed your life, transformed it dramatically? So this passage of scripture is talking about that spiritual resurrection. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 1. Let's read. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Where in time past you walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, 
even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, for by grace are you saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. This is a spiritual resurrection where God pulls us out of sins and trespasses. We were walking according to wrath. We were living according to the course of the world, the dictates of the world. We were driven by the prince of the power of the air. We were following a spirit of disobedience. Our conversation was not a good conversation. It was rooted in the lust of the flesh. We fulfilled the desires of the flesh and the mind. We were by nature the children of wrath and anger. And then Paul said there was a spiritual resurrection. And it starts with, but God. God does an amazing thing. God does a transforming thing. His grace pulls us out of the miry clay, transforms our life, and he elevates us to sit together in heavenly places. We're in the house of God tonight. We're in a heavenly place. We could be in a bar somewhere. We could be in a club somewhere. We could be in the, off the side of the road somewhere, strung out of our minds, loaded up on addictions, but because God has done a mighty work, we're in the house of God tonight. Woo! And we're praising him and worshiping him. Amen. One preacher, he was trying to interpret, interpret this and make it sound really good. And he said those words, but God, he said that is like a fine line between two conjunctions. I don't think that's the but that Paul's referring to here, but that's what that went right over some of your heads. He said it's like it's a fine line between two conjunctions, but God. That's not exactly the best extrapolation from this passage of Scripture here. Amen. But the, but the right one is God does that. God does the transformation. God does the work. And so there is a resurrection that is a spiritual resurrection. But in Hebrews chapter number 6, when he's talking about the six principles of Christ, the foundational things that have, that have to be in our life, we are supposed to leave those things, not because that we forget them, but because the, that's the foundation. You can't build on something that is not first built in a foundational way. And this... This doctrine, this resurrection of the dead, is something that has to be in our spiritual DNA. It's very, very important. And in that passage of Scripture in chapter 6, it's not talking about a resurrection that is a spiritual resurrection, although it, it has connections to that because you have to have a spiritual resurrection before there's going to be a physical resurrection. But what he's talking about is the resurrection, the better resurrection, that happens from Christ 
up to Revelation 20, which is a millennial reign, somewhere in there, praise God, Jesus is coming back. That's what we read in 1 Thessalonians. This is what we are to comfort one another with these words, that there is going to be a catching away. That's scriptural terminology. There's going to be a catching away by those that are alive. And if there have been individuals from Jesus in the church that have received the Holy Ghost new birth experience and that they have died, then they also are going to resurrect into that better resurrection. I'm looking for the coming of the Lord. I'm looking for the day that is approaching. Hallelujah. I'm in the world. I'm involved in a lot of things, but this is something that is more important than anything else. It is foundational to my discipleship and my maturity. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. So, People talk about the rapture of the church. The rap, rapture is a word that's not in the scripture, and that's okay. It's just a word that means a catching away. Catching away is what we read in 1 Thessalonians. So if you're looking for more biblical terminology, there's going to be a catching away. But people typically refer to it as the rapture of the church. It means a catching away. It's used in reference to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse number 13, which is the return of Christ. Everybody following me so far? Are we okay? All right, this is the rapture of the church. It is the resurrection of the dead. It is a better resurrection. At the rapture of the church, there will be a resurrection of the dead for those who have died in the faith and they had, have had victory over sin. And it will extend from the formation of the church at Pentecost until the rapture of the church. That's the catching away. When it happens, when it happens, the dead in Christ will be resurrected and rise first. And the living saints will be caught up immediately behind them. Both groups will unite in the clouds as they meet the Lord in the air to be with him forever. We await this event with great anticipation. Every single day, you should say, this could be the day that the Lord returns. I'm anticipating that day. Man, all you have to do is look at the news and say, I'm, I'm, I'm expecting a greater day. This is terrible. There is mayhem and chaos and dysfunction and wickedness. Come, Lord Jesus. I'm anticipating that day. I'm looking for that day. So, people have often questioned, okay, if there is a resurrection that is a better resurrection, what does it mean to be in that incorruptible body because this body's corrupt? I mean, we know all about this body. I played some basketball with the boy. I haven't played basketball in three years. Somebody gave me a basketball, and it said uh, 50, retired on it. And they had it in a case. Man, that struck my ego so hard that, that I put it in my office. It's still in my office. I haven't played basketball in three years. But I played basketball last night for the first time in three years. I had a good time. I think I played, actually, actually played very well. Made quite a few baskets, but this morning, got out of bed, I couldn't walk, literally. My heels were killing me. I stood there like, and so I hobbled into the, I, I knew I needed to get to a warm shower or something, and I was walking like an 80-year-old man. 
I'm not there yet. I mean, my poor wife looked at me and she, I, <laughs> I think if, <laughs> I think if I'm going to play basketball in the future, <laughs> I need a trainer, a masseuse or something to try to help me uh, unlock all of those joints and everything to free myself up so that I could move. And all day today, it was terrible. I sat down, couldn't get out of a, a seat, a chair. It has taken all day to get to this point, Sister Comer, to come up here and preach because I'm out. Of, we understand this corruptible body, yes? Absolutely we do. And getting old, somebody said, is not for sissies. That's so very true. I mean, you get to that age where don't eat pizza late at night. You're not going to get any sleep. You're going to be taking Tums and Prilosec and all this kind of stuff, and you're going to be wondering, what in the world happened to me? Only time you can eat spicy foods is for lunch because it takes you the rest of the day to try to get over that. Right? You're eating bananas at night and oatmeal. <laughs> we, we, we understand this physical corrupt body, yes? And so for some people, they're like, if there's a better resurrection and I'm moving from corruption to incorruption, what's that going to be like? And what's going to happen there? And so Paul, the Corinthians really wanted to know this when Paul started talking about this resurrection that's a better resurrection. And so they, at, they started asking the questions, how are the dead raised up and with what body do they come? How does this happen? With what body do they achieve? And the Bible doesn't discuss every detail, but it does give us some interesting insight on the resurrected body. And so here's some things that we do know. Some things we don't know. This is a complex issue that we will never completely fully understand. But Paul said, just know this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he spends the entire chapter to, to talk about some of the things that happen in a better resurrected body. He says this. He compares death and resurrection to the planting of seeds. So our corruptible body is like the planting of seeds. He talks about these celestial or heavenly bodies to terrestrial or earthly bodies and talking about the resurrected body. So there are heavenly bodies, there's earthly bodies, and the resurrected body is, is a connection with those two different worlds. He says that we are sown or we are buried, and that is also one of the ways in which we understand how we are raised or resurrected, just like a crop is planted, some seed is planted in the ground, and then there is something that comes out of that. This is where uh, Romans chapter 6 and verse number 4, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So that better resurrection is something that happens physically in this life, but it is also something that happens in that better resurrection. So we're a seed that is planted. It is in comparison to celestial bodies. This body is a body that is sown in corruption, but when it is raised, it is raised in incorruption. This body is sown in dishonor. Dishonor meaning that it's earthly, it's tainted by earth, but it's going to be raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, everything in the world that we live in, the earth, there is a weakness to it. But when it is raised, it is raised in power. It is sown, we are sown in a natural body, but when it is raised, it is a spiritual body. Jesus 
is raised in a glorified body. He appears through closed doors to his disciples, and yet he is not limited to the earthly ramifications of the corruptible body because he just appears to them in a room. John says that we are resurrected when we are resurrected. We shall be like him so that we know our resurrected body is going to be much like Jesus' body. Now, I don't know what you're going to look like, okay? I don't know if you're going to be the perfect, I don't know what age that is where you think that you look the best at what, I don't know how that's going to work, but it's a spiritual, they knew who Jesus was, obviously, because they recognized him, but it was a spiritual body that, that was not limited by earthly ramifications. That's a better resurrection, and if Jesus was resurrected that way, Paul said, you're going to be resurrected that way. We will bear the image of the heavenly at our resurrection. We will be like the angels of heaven in that we will never die. The resurrection is called the redemption of the human body. It's a redeeming. If, if, if there's a redemption, redemption is buying back, putting something in its rightful place. So if you're going all the way back to the beginning, Adam and Eve's first state before the fall would have been more along the lines of a resurrected body because there was not any end to it. There was no, there was no death, and death comes with, with the fall. And so a resurrected body is a body that is a redemption of the human body. It is a putting on the tabernacle not made with hands, and that will occur at the great and first resurrection. Hallelujah. I'm thankful for the word of God that gives to us a hope that maketh not ashamed as the musicians come in the house of God tonight. Amen. We need to comfort one another with this foundational doctrine that we've got something that we should be striving for, anticipating, looking toward, and looking for. Amen. I'm thankful for God's goodness and his greatness. Amen. I'm thankful for the encouragement of his word. I'm grateful that this is not all that there is. Paul said, if we live that way, we live a life that is most miserable. It is a miserable life. You may have some good periods in life and teenagers think they've got all the time in the world, but I'm telling you it happens so fast. James said our life is but a vapor. It happens so very, very fast. There are people in this place here today, you look back and you recognize where did 15 and 20 years go? It happens so very, very fast. Life is corrupt. I'm looking for a life that is not corrupt. I'm not looking for just an in, 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 in this earthly life. I'm looking for a heavenly experience. I'm thankful that God gives to us just a taste of it in the earth, but there is something that is greater that is coming. Amen. And so we should anticipate that day. That's the first resurrection. This is, this is the resurrection. We need to probably spend the majority of our time and prioritize above everything else. The second resurrection that you get to is a second resurrection that happens something happens in Revelation chapter 20, the millennial reign, and then in Revelation you get a lot of apocryphal information about some people that are raised and die and beheaded, and it's all this kind of stuff, and so there is a second resurrection. The second resurrection is during the millennial reign, where the scripture said that we will reign with Christ, and yet there will be a, a period of a thousand years and the period of a thousand years, there's going to be people. They're still going to have choice and free will. And so some are going to come to God. And by the way, I believe that if they come to God, they come to God through a new birth experience. I believe that emphatically. 
I don't believe there's another way. There's a gospel that Jesus died for, and that's the way everybody's coming in. Amen. And so they're, they're, during that period of time, some people will come to God, but some people won't. And so there's another resurrection. And I'll be honest with you, I have a hard time with that. I have a very difficult time with that. And the reason I have a difficult time with that is why are we doing this again? I mean, Jesus is going to have to go through the whole thing again of being rejected. Why? Okay. And so the way it's there, I mean, and it, it, it's, it's, it's a deal because some people believe, like the Corinthians, that the resurrection has already taken place. And those people are called predators. There's full predators. There's half partial predators. There's half predators. Full predators believe that everything has already happened. There's no resurrection. It's all what it is. Half believe that it's some of it happened in AD 70, but yet there's still a fulfillment and continuation. And that's a that's a way of studying the end times. And then you got dis, dispensationalists, and, and then you got you got there's there's all kinds of thoughts and all this. And so the second resurrection is rooted in all of that. And, and you could study that, you could have opinions on that, and, and that's all fine and good because that is something that is in the future. I'm telling you here tonight, the first resurrection is the rest. It's simple to me. Just be ready. Just be, I don't know what's going to happen in the future. Who knows? But I do know this. Jesus Christ is coming back for his church, and I want to be ready. I want to participate in the first resurrection. Amen. Praise God. In that second resurrection or that final resurrection, every generation that is dead, we can all stand together. Every generation that is dead will all come to life. Not just the church from Jesus to the rapture or the catching away, but everybody from the very beginning will be raised in the second resurrection for a judgment that takes place. And those people that were saved, they will appear before the judgment throne. And those people from the very beginning of time will be judged. That, that is something that happens, and that is referred to as the second resurrection. But what's more important, and what is so very, very simple, is the first resurrection is what we need to be looking for. Amen. We need to be praying for, we need to be ready for it. It's one of the cardinal truths of the Word of God. It is a principle. It's a foundational stone. We should strive to be in the first resurrection. Let's purpose in our heart to be in that reunion in the sky when Jesus returns. Amen. I want to end with where we started here tonight. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So, so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. I wonder if we could lift up our voice and our hands and we could rejoice in the house of God tonight and comfort one another with the fact that God has given to us. He's given to us a promise. And make it not a shame. Hallelujah. Praise God. Come on, clap your hands unto the Lord. I thank you, Jesus, and praise you. Now here I stand.